Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We just started a new study this year, and uh, here at the church, we believe strongly in, in kind of just taking books of the Bible and working line by line, verse by verse, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first, the scriptures are God's revealed word to us, and by going line by line, verse by verse, in context, it, it, it kind of guards against going on, on tangents, it guards on me getting off on hobby horses, and it forces me to preach on stuff that I, I may or may not like preaching on. I don't set what I'm going to say. Can you just turn me down just a little bit, please? Um, and <clears throat> is it, it might be coming from the hallway. Am I real loud? I, I feel like I'm really loud. I might be hearing it echo from out there. Yeah, Judy's giving me that. It's real loud out there. Um, so by just kind of taking the scripture as a whole, as a book, it forces me. There's times that I've had to, I've come and go, man, I've got to preach on that. And this is not going to be pleasant for me. Um, but the thing is, it's not me. It's we want, I am under the scripture and we want the scripture to speak to us every day. Um, you know, Rick gives himself such a hard time over the announcements. And last week, Joel did it during the first service. I did the second service. When I got home, Anna's like, man, Rick and Joel really do a good job with the announcements. I'm like, wait, wait, what are you saying? She's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> so I appreciate the guys that do the announcements. It's not easy. But we are in Luke um, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And we'll, we're going to read this, and we'll pray, and we'll, we'll get to work. Luke 1, 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the scriptures that you have uh, given to us, Lord, that we may know your will. Father, we ask that uh, your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text. Father, may you help us to understand it. Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts to your message. Father, make us pliable. Lord, help us to draw closer to you. We, Lord, just want to know you more and more. We want to um, get our lives in a position that we um, just live pleasing to you. 
Lord, we ask for your help, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story, I, as we get into this story, we almost every week in Luke, I, we have to go back to the first four verses to kind of remember like the purpose of the text. We know exactly that Luke, every word he wrote in this book was strategic. He knew exactly why he was writing it, and he was basically to fulfill verse 4 so that you may know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. But backing it up, he starts with, Inasmuch have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. And so here... And today's story, history holds that Luke sat down with Mary and, and he interviewed her. She was, an, she was an older woman. She was probably in her 70s, 80s by the time he got to her. He's a physician. He's a historian. He said, now, Mary, let's talk. Let's, I'm sure you remember it like it was yesterday. Let's, Let's talk about what happened. And she would tell, this is what happened. This is ex- everything that happened. He's like, well, now, do you have a doctor, a midwife, somebody I could speak with? Are they still around? Who are people that were near you? I'd like to speak with them. I'd like to um, get the whole story. And as he do- did this, with this intensity that made him a great historian, this is what he left us with. And so it's important to kind of keep this in mind, that he most likely interviewed Mary at the end of her life to interview her for this. And the first thing we learn is now in the sixth month, this, this sixth month was how far along Elizabeth was in her pregnancy. This is the timeline that we're dealing with. The angel of the Lord was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Luke also knows that he just wrote about the telling of John the Baptist. Same angel, same story, but the contrasts in the story are huge. We go from Jerusalem God's holy city to Galilee. This city was in, this, well, we're going to talk about how insignificant this city was. To, to, to a priest in the temple at, right in front of the curtain that separated the priest from, from the presence of the Lord to somewhere out in Galilee to a young woman. Now, just to, we're going to go to the next slide here just real quickly and we'll go back just to orientate everybody on where Nazareth is. So down here, this is the top of the Dead Sea, the northern section of the Dead Sea. We have Bethlehem, where Jesus will eventually go to for the the census. There's Jerusalem right there. About 80 miles north by straight line is Nazareth. You couldn't go there by straight line then because of Samaria, and you can't go there today because of the Palestinians. You have to go to the coast and go up and cut across. And so Nazareth is a tiny, tiny, insignificant town. And this is the place uh, that the Savior of the world entered to live, to do most of his ministry. Most of his earthly ministry happened within, you know, 33 square miles, right? Tiny little location of nowhere. And can I go down just a little bit, Ben? I feel like I'm booming. Um, We can go back to the verses. Nazareth is so insignificant. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Apocrypha writing, which is historical books that happened during the silent 400 years before the birth of Christ. It's not mentioned in the Talmud, which is the Jewish commentary over things. It's not mentioned anywhere in ancient history. It's nothing. 
This was a, a kind of a pit stop town on the way to other places. As I put this into modern context to what we know, how many people here know where Button Willow, California is? There's a handful of us. Nazareth is Button Willow to me. See, when once a month, Anna and I take the girls, and we drive up to Great Grandpa Hilkins' house, and he has a 44-acre ranch. We try to take, I try to take a weekend once a month. We'll leave, next Sunday, we'll do it. We'll leave on Sunday. We'll get there Sunday night. We stay Monday, and then we drive home on Tuesday. There's no cell phone coverage. There's no Internet, and it's just horses, cattle, and me and Grace and the kids and the family, and it's a great time. We love road trips. And if I, we could get the kids to fall asleep and to hold it together, we can make it to Button Willow, which is where you have to cut off on the 58. It's after you go through the grapevine, you go about another 40 miles. And when you pull off here, there's like a Chevron, a trucker, you know, there's like a the trucker's gas station, which is like the different sort of gas station that I used to not know if we were allowed to go there in cars, but you know, like the big trucker's gas station. There's a Jack in a Box, there's a Subway, there's a Starbucks. There's a couple little restaurants there. You know, of course, there's a McDonald's and Carl's Jr. And when I pull in there to gas up and get a little bit of food before we cut west where there's no gas for the next 80 miles, I I look at Buttonwillow and I go, where do these people live? These are like, come on, hillbillies. And I'm from Valley Center. I mean, how do you sustain yourself from... From Button Willow West, there's a bunch of Chevron oil wags. You know, when you get to Central California, you see the oil wells going. This was Nazareth, probably 100 people, probably 50 people. People came through there. They would stop and, you know, gas up their camels or whatever they did. <laughs> you know, they'd get some provision, and then they would continue. It existed as a pit stop town. So it's a tiny, tiny little town, far different than Jerusalem, where everybody flocked from around the world to come to. And then we are introduced to our two kind of characters in the story in verse 27. So the angel appears in this, this nothing town in the middle of nowhere. You'll remember one of the apostles, disciples later would say in the Gospels or other people, Nazareth, what's good? What's good come out of Nazareth? To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. So here we're introduced to Mary and to Joseph, the parents of Jesus. And this week has been difficult. I, how, how much, where do I go in introducing these two characters? <clears throat> yeah, I was raised Catholic. My whole, a lot of my family is still Catholic. I love Catholics. I do not hate Catholics. I don't want this at all. I think too much in the Protestant world, we, Catholics are, oh, they hate us. I love Catholics. They're great people. Uh, I have some problems with the Vatican as a former Catholic because I think that they caused me some some misconceptions growing up and my growth in the Lord was kind of hindered. When we start talking about Mary, the Catholics kind of have the market cornered on Mary. I mean, in a big way. You, I mean, you, you Google. All, <laughs> I don't even want to ask who are the Catholics or former Catholics in here. There's a lot of us. There are, and in our culture, there are so many people that were raised in the Catholic Church. And when you start thinking about Mary, unfortunately, the picture we have on Mary doesn't reflect the scriptures. And on the other extreme, Protestants have gone off the deep end. And you, you, you'll hear her 
mentioned in Christmas, oh, she was the mother of Jesus, and then we kind of skim on. When I think that she was probably the most significant woman, if we want to call her a woman at this time, she was a child of history. So I want to kind of, today, my goal is not to attack the Catholic Church at all, by any stretch of the means. I, I want to address this as if my family was here with me, who I love, but also to speak the truth from the scriptures of what we know about her. So what do we know about Mary? When we look, if you just be careful when you start Googling the Virgin Mary, like I, like on the, like it's just, I wouldn't recommend, you know, be very careful when you start Googling. But when you start looking at the images of Mary, what, what normally happens is the statues I grew up with, the images I see, you see this lady in a blue kind of robe glowing with a halo. She's got a huge gold crown on holding this baby with a gold crown, normally sitting on this huge golden chair and just radiance flowing all about her. All, we've all seen this image of Mary. If you go to Spain where Anna grew up, the pictures get a little, they, they get a little more radical. And, but it doesn't fit. She wasn't a 30-year-old woman. Every theologian puts her in the age between 12 and 14. You could be betrothed as early as 12. Often when you're betrothed, you, I'll talk about it later, the minimum wait period was a year. And this was to ensure that she wasn't pregnant. And then after her pregnancy, the marriage, but, but a betrothal, I don't want to get there too much. To get out of a betrothal required a divorce. So it was marriage, but there was a timeline. And if the girl be, was pregnant during that window, you could have an annulment and back out of it. The man could do that. So she's 12 to 14. And, and I want to start thinking about 12 to 14. I think the only 12 to 14, I've really been pondering. I think that Isaac back there, he's not a lady. He's a young man. He's 12. Raise your hand, Isaac. This is what like 12-year-old looks like, you know, but uh, he's a 12-year-old. And I think Emily during the second service or, the, or whenever she comes, she's about a 12-year-old. We would call them children. Not during biblical times, and I'll have more to say about this later. The education of Mary, she was likely illiterate. She, women were not trained at all. They were not educated. She couldn't read, most likely. Any scripture she knew, it would have been what she heard in the synagogue or was kind of passed down to her by her family orally because the, oh, the synagogue would have a copy of parts of the Old Testament scriptures. Not every family would have. We didn't have BibleGateway.com. We didn't have 10 translations in our home. So the scripture she knew was kind of in her head. She was a singer. She's going to next week we'll look at her song that she sings. And she was poor, dirt poor. She was so poor, later in Luke, we'll see, when Joseph and her go to make their offering at the temple, there was a provision in the law for the most of destitute. And it was that you could essentially offer a pigeon, a little bird. It was like offering a rat in our modern day. She was so poor, she had nothing. And so I imagine her kind of in, this is a tiny little town out in the middle of nowhere. It's hill country. Today, there's probably about 100,000 people in Nazareth. There's one source of water. There's one well that they would all go to. But during her time, there was 50 to 100 people. Everybody knew everybody. She probably was in dirty, you know, clothes, sandals. And here the angel appears to her. The other things that need to be corrected about Mary, her age, her education, her 
financial situation. There are some that have, in the Catholic Church and Orthodox churches in general, um, came up with the Immaculate Conception. So they say that not only was Jesus immaculately conceived, but Mary was also. There's nothing in Scripture supporting this at all, that she was born just like everybody else. She was just a person. The perpetual virgin is another, that she not only was a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth, but that she maintained her virginity throughout the course of her marriage. And See, this makes it a problem with Scripture. Because if she was a good, godly lady, that would not result in being... That's not what God intends for marriage. After they were married, they maintained their purity during the time of the betrothal. After Jesus was born when they were married, they, can, they had children. Go to the next slide here. This is sort of a flow chart of the children that Scripture records. So over here we have Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist. Elizabeth and Mary are cousins, probably like great cousins. She was older than her. Uh, Jesus came. Then after Joseph and Mary... Uh, consummated the relationship james who wrote the book of james came joseph came simon came and then judas who wrote the book of jude at the end of the bible so so they had five sons they continued to have marriage Um, this perpetual virginity thing it really kind of creates this a negative view of marriage which god has created you can go back to the first slide of um, the verses also that she was sinless Mary was a sinner, just like everybody else. She was born of a man and a woman. We see all through Scripture at the foot of the cross, she's there. When Jesus ascends into heaven, we see her in the upper room in the beginning of Acts, waiting for her Savior, waiting for the Spirit, waiting just like everybody else. Another thing that we learn about Mary is the co-redemptious, co-redemptor, that she is... There's not just a trinity, but there's kind of a quadruple identity or whatever. I don't know what word. But that she is right there just dishing out grace and favor to everybody else. That salvation comes with her. As a kid, I almost have it memorized. Hail Mary, full of grace. This is right. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, mother of God. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. This is praying to a woman. And if you were Catholic, you probably have, you guys have all seen, I'm horrible at memorizing, like verbatim. But you can be out of the church for 20 years and you just, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thou. Blessed is the fruit. You know what I mean? It just kind of comes out. And you're praying. To me, it borders the occult. You're, You're praying to somebody who's dead, who's just a human that is not the Lord. This week, it's been breaking my heart. And I, this conversation about Mary, it comes up and it just breaks my heart with, with family members. This week, John Paul, the, old, the Pope who died, I was watching it. He's on, he's on the fast track to sainthood. But we, we've all beat him. Because if you're in Christ, you're a saint. <laughs> Biblically speaking. And I heard, you know, part of the church's requirement for sainthood is that two miracles are performed. He's got one down, apparently, which I don't, you know, all through scripture, demons can produce miracles. And a lady said, I was praying to John Paul and he healed me of my Parkinson's and the church has authenticated this. And so now he's just got one miracle to go before he can be fast tracked into sainthood. See, the problem I have with this is Jesus in John 14, 6 says, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Don't pray to me when I'm dead. I can't do anything for you. Nothing. In 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul tells Timothy, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, this testimony given at the proper time. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. Praying to anybody other than Jesus is not of the Lord. And I love Catholics. I'm just, just for the record. It breaks my heart because as a Catholic, I went to plenty of Good Friday, or not Good Fridays, the Christmas Eve services, and I sat there, Hail Mary, full of grace, desperately wanting to connect with the Lord. And I'm praying to the wrong item. Now, the other extremes that he's totally ignored, which the Protestants are guilty of. And so today, my goal, my aim, is that we would look at what the Bible says about Mary and that we would be encouraged by her, that we would follow her example, and that we would kind of learn, because there's so much to be learned from this wonderful woman. Like, think of the creator and sustainer and savior of the world and looking over all humanity of all times. He chose Mary. He didn't choose me. He, he, took, he could have made me pregnant and had a baby. I mean, he, we're going to see God can do whatever he wills. He didn't choose me. He didn't choose any. He chose Mary. And so Joseph, well, we're not much about him. He was engaged to her. They, in a rich family, they would have had a huge party. They would have had wine. They would have had a huge celebration. The brides, um, the ransom would have been paid for the bride, the, the, the dad. They would have had a huge party in a poor family. Likely, they would have come together at the synagogue. Joseph and Mary, I, I speculate, this small town, they knew each other from childhood. Maybe they, you know, cutesy over each other. It's like, ooh, I, I'm, I'm now a man. He's probably a couple years older than her. <sighs> she's 12. She's like, now she's like, the, I can be betrothed to her. They would come together with the families before the religious leader, either the rabbi or whoever it was. They'd read some scripture. You okay, mom and dad? We all good with this? We, they love each other. You sure you want to give your blessing? They give the blessing. They'd, they'd say a prayer, maybe drink a little, maybe a sip of wine at theirs for their, their income. We learned that he was a descendant of David. Now, there's a lot of, when you start looking at the lineage, Mary's kind of follows. But in Luke, she's not going to get any credit. And I think that Luke, being a Gentile, wants to like this adoption, that we're adopted in through the Messiah. And so we learn that he is of the descendant of David. Now, getting to the story here, we'll, we'll get into the text. I've said what I needed to say, and hopefully it helps us have understanding. I think when you start adding to Scripture and making up stories, it creates confusion on how do we get right with the Lord. For years, I thought I was okay because I was baptized as a kid. And that didn't make me okay with God because I had no relationship with him. Verse 28, so here's the scene. This angel appears, Gabriel again. He shows up in this, no, this nothing town of Nazareth. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed at this statement. I love it. When, when the angel shows up to Zacharias, he's in the temple. He is afraid of the dude. Like, what is happening here? The angel's going to tell her not to be afraid, but she's like, 12-year-old kid. What did he mean by this? 
Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. I'm just a kid. I'm just a know-nothing girl, poor, destitute, in Nazareth, never, ever been mentioned in anywhere in history. And you're here, what's going on here? And as we kind of continue this story, I want us to, uh, one application, I think, for us. See, we do, all kids are always welcome. We do Sunday school, when we'll do Sunday school up to 12. If kids want to go, if the parents want to go that route, that's okay. Kids are always welcome. I think our culture has created something called adolescence. And adolescence is growing and growing and growing. I've heard that the 30 is the new 20. And I think most recently I heard that 40 is the new 30. That there's this extension of, oh, Go just be crazy and stupid. And I was there, just go be, do all your stupid stuff. You'll mature one day, hopefully. But I've met some 70-year-olds that haven't met. You know, the 70 is going to be the new 20 pretty soon Before, if we keep going on this track. And in this story, there's a 12-year-old girl, 12, 14 at the oldest. And an angel appears to her. God's going to do something amazing, is doing something amazing in your life right now. And I believe that's why we so emphasize, listen, we don't just send the kids out to Sundays to, to have babysitting when they do go out. There's some churches you can't compete with because they do jumping machines and they have parties every week, but their goal is not the same. Our goal is every little person, we want to teach the young ones the Bible because I believe that at five, six, God can speak to a child and say, we're going to do something great and we have a responsibility to train them. Our one 12-year-old back there, he serves back there every week. God, he told his dad, he's like, hey, I, I feel like God wants me to do this. Hey, we'll do whatever he, he like, we want to help him serve because God can move early on. And so she's perplexed, verse 29, about this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. What is going on here? Yes, angel Gabriel, can I help you? It's real. I believe that God could do this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is great. Nothing's bad's about to happen. God, oh, he's found favor with you. And you're, I'm about to tell you something that's going to rock your world, literally. He goes on to share with her in verse 31 what's about to happen. He said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. I told you guys we get to Christmas. Just came on Martin Luther King weekend, not, not on Christmas Day. <clears throat> Verse 32, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. I want us to go back to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis 3, 15. In theological terms, this is a very, there's a big word that I have a hard time saying, the proto-evangelon, which means it's the first gospel. I'd put it in lay terms. This is the first time the gospel of Christ is announced to the world is in Genesis 3:15. Sin had entered the world. God, the Father, is speaking to man, to woman, to the serpent, and de- declaring their punishment. And in Genesis 3.15, we see the first announcement of coming Christ 
to take care of and conquer sin. And in Genesis 3.15, we read, speaking to the serpent, God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise, um, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he says, he says, listen, Satan, through the woman, Eve, I'm sending Jesus. And he's going to crush your head. There's no victory for you. You're going to bruise him on the heel, the cross, death, burial, resurrection. He overcame it, but Satan will lose. And in Revelation, we'll see that he'll be cast into hell permanently. He said, you can do all you want, but the game's already over. It's like watching a football game on TiVo when you already know the score. It's like, well, they're going to go through all the motions. It's like, oh, great, I ruined it. Now, continue with me over to Isaiah chapter 7 in the middle of the Bible, pretty much 700 years before the birth of Christ. In Isaiah 7, 14, we see this. Isaiah, we've been all last year, we worked through it. We're getting close to ending it. We'll end it in February. We'll work our way through on Wednesday nights. Isaiah is so precise about the prophecies coming about Jesus that after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, after the world was changed, skeptics said there's no way that this is true, that it's authentic. It, 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 this had to have been written when they consider Isaiah 53, Isaiah 7:14, all of this stuff. It had to have been written after everything happened. It was inserted into the text later. Well, in the mid-1900s, when they, those two shepherd boys were throwing rocks on the northern section of the western side of the Dead Sea, they discovered a text of Isaiah from a probably B.C. 300. 300 years before Christ, they pull it out, they go through, and Isaiah is 99.99999. You keep going all the way out to infinity. Accurate. So, well, this, there's no way. That God spoke this. He's outside time. He spoke it because he knows everything that's happening. And in Isaiah 7, 14, we read, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua. <clears throat> Angel appears to Mary. Mary, you know. Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, 12-year-old little girl, it's you. It's you. I just live in Nazareth. I, I'm poor. My, she's going to be going to the temple with God as a little kid, doing the walk of shame with her pigeons. And everybody else is going to have their their. They're, you know, offering their brand new BMWs in their terms. And she's got her little beat up pigeons. That's an exception because they feel sorry for the poor people. They want them to be able to make sacrifices too. And God has chosen her. It's amazing. Now, continuing, we were going to go back to the front of the Bible. I always get to the left. I often make mistakes. Um, on which direction to go. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is King David. <clears throat> There's a number of prophets, uh, covenants found in Scripture. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 
some of the covenants, the major covenants, we see um, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 to 15, where God says to Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed. We read in the New Testament that through Jesus, we've been grafted in and we are sons. We are children. We are co-receiving um, of the, the, the uh, inheritance through faith in Abraham. We see the Noahic covenant, which isn't a big one, but every time you see a rainbow, a rainbow is God's promise that he'll never destroy the world again through flooding the world. Here we come to the Davidic covenant. So David, his lineage from Abraham, in 7.12, we read, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build my house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You can go back to Luke chapter 1. So we see this promise that's given to David, that through him, he will have an eternal kingdom. The Jewish people thought it was David. After the resurrection and ascension of Christ at Pentecost, they go to that verse and they say, listen, David's body saw decay. Jesus rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. That's who it was talking about. And so the angel tells Mary, Mary, it's you. You're the, you're the virgin that this would come through. <clears throat> and I'm going to find my place here. Um, verse 32. You shall give him the name Jesus. Remember Isaiah 714, Emmanuel, Jesus, Yeshua, same, same name, different language. <clears throat> he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, referring to the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom shall have no end. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm tracking with you. But I have a question. She says, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The, uh, contrasting these two stories from last week and this week was Zach. Zacharias had a question. His was in lack of faith. And that's why he was punished. Mary's had nothing to do with lack of faith. Okay, I'm tracking with you. This is cool. But how's it all going to work? Because I'm, I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. I can't be pregnant. Like, Zachariah, they said, oh, you're married. You can have a baby. They just didn't believe that was possible. Because I'm not tracking how this can be. And the lesson I learned here is that questions with belief are good. I'm all for questions. I love it when people email me questions or ask me. Email is normally better because I can think about it. I can do some research. And you normally on the fly when somebody starts asking a hard question, it's like, oh, well, it's hard to answer this question in just a passing by. Like you're asking a deep question. So email me so I don't forget. And then I'll give you like a response. I'll give you your answer. That's why we provide the case for Christ. That's why it's okay to be a believer. We knew that. That already happened once. Um, and to have questions. Now, Joshua's getting blind, so I want to no. no. In honor of your name and today, it's, uh, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll help out. <clears throat> so questions are good. I can multitask. Questions are good, and I'm all for asking questions. And Mary asked this question. How can this happen? 
The angel doesn't scold her. There's no punishment dished out for her. The angel answered her and said in verse 35, thank you. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. He's God. And part of our, you know, finite brain not being able to understand through Mary, Jesus, 100% man, through the seed of the Spirit, 100% God. How do you have 200%? We have a finite brain. He's fully God, fully man. Simultaneously, he comes. Now on this, Ryrie says this. I like this about this whole, the spirit overshadowing you. There's distorted people. What he says is this. When Gabriel announced to Mary that she would bear the Messiah, she protested that she would need a husband. And the angel's response was in essence, she won't need a husband because the spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. This statement emphasizes more of the fact of divine generation of the child than the method. But when you look at this, this is Luke writing. And when you start doing exegesis, the study of scripture, the hermeneutics, phrases, words. How does this author use phrases like this? How does he use words like this? And just going through Acts, I couldn't help but to notice, stood out to me. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Speaking of the divine birth of Jesus. That's Acts 1.8. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Think about that. Amazing. That as a believer, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're indwelt with him, and then God through the Spirit empowers us to work and to serve and to glorify him, it's amazing. He continues, and he says in verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. Mary had no idea. We ended with with Elizabeth going into seclusion for five months. Mary has no idea what's going on over there. And he says, listen, as a sign to you, your cousin, you know she's barren, shamed by the whole culture and town, everybody that knows her. She's pregnant now. This would have blown Mary away. Really? Wow. Verse 37. Memorize this. Even I can do this one. Maybe not word for word, but pretty close. (laughs) For nothing will be impossible with God. God could do whatever he wants. God could say, he can speak. Six days later, all creation that we know existed. And he rested on the seventh day, not because he needed a rest, because he wanted to have an example for us. God can speak whatever he wants and do it. Nothing, God is God, we are not. God is able to do anything he chooses. And when we start looking at this sovereignty of God, that means that he's in control, his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful, this gives, I found that it never you, you never talk about this stuff in the midst of crisis to others. But when you're in the midst of a crisis or personal tragedy or something happens, to know, you know what? My God is all-powerful. Anything's impossible with him. And I'm going through this right now. And he could take it away. 
but maybe he's doing something in my life through this. Maybe he's trying to teach me a lesson through this. It's so helpful. And then Mary responds. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary is amazing. Twelve-year-old little girl gets this put on her. No doubt. She said, I'm your bond slave. Whatever the Lord wants, I'll do. And we look at this. And I think we skip over some stuff. She's about to get married. In the law, Joseph could leave her. He, wa- he could leave her. In the law, she could be stoned to death for getting pregnant. They didn't enforce it at the time, but there was a provision in the law. If, 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 she was sto- if she got pregnant during this period, she could be stoned. And it's interesting that in the law, when you start going to Leviticus, that if a child, if a girl was, did something like this, she was to be stoned at her father's doorstep. Everybody else was at the edge of town, but a, a child under her father's care, it was on his doorstep. We, we know through the Gospels, people in the town called Jesus names that I won't use here, but meaning that he's an illegitimate child, called Mary a loose woman, ridiculed her to the very end because everybody knew Jesus was not her, Joseph's. And nobody really buys the whole immaculate, that he, not immaculate, that he was conceived by god oh yeah that happens all the time (laughs) girls just get pregnant because god comes and uh no shamed and she said you know what god my life is yours i'll do whatever you want even if it brings a little uncomfort i'll faithfully serve you whatever you want me as isaiah said here am i send me use me however you please now, I do want to skip, go back to Matthew chapter 1. Go over to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. We're gonna, the, Luke kind of doesn't really talk about Joseph's side of the story. But I think there's some lessons to learn from Joseph. Because here's a man. They're all excited. Weddings are exciting. Getting married. Next, we're about two weeks out from Anna and I's nine-year anniversary. And so whenever you have, like, an anniversary, like, whenever we get to, like, okay, we got married on 2202. You guess why we chose the date, you know? <laughs> it's Groundhog's Day, very significant day in my life. But as I, like, as I approach my anniversary, I always remember, like, man, I remember when I got engaged, like, months before this time, Nine years ago, man, we were like floating on clouds. We were so excited to get married. She is told that during this time she's going to get pregnant. Shame's going to come upon her. Joseph and her are going to get married. And those first like window of marriage, it's exciting, fun. They're going to get married and they're going to have a newborn in the home with them. Totally different dynamic. Just getting married. 
having to take care of, I mean, Jesus was God, but he was also man. He had poopy diapers. He cried. He, everything that little kids do, throwing a two-week-old into a two-week-old marriage doesn't equal a whole lot of fun. It's work. So they were kind of, they sacrificed some excitement in their early, they waited, they maintained their purity for a year, their lives of being in love, and their time to, to enjoy marriage as God intended was taken from them. They said, okay, so be it. But Joseph, it was a little bit harder for him. Understand, understandably, he would be taken as the fool of the town. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He loved Mary, but he could This whole that God got her pregnant was just too much. But he loved her. He loved her family. So he was going to send her away in private, annul the marriage, but to try to save her from being disgraced. He was going to divorce her. In verse 20, it says, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord, we don't know who, probably Gabriel, I'm a suspecting Gabriel, shows up, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Can you, think about fear. You're engaged. You've been saving yourself for marriage. The girl you're in love with, who you think's in love with you, tells you she got pregnant by God. Do I want to spend a lifetime of not trusting her? Can't do this. She obviously doesn't love me. She's running around. I'm not going to jeopardize the rest of my life with this question mark on the back of my mind. But the angel shows up and says, listen, it's true. What she says is true. And I believe that only Mary and Joseph were the ones who got this sort of confirmation. People today still question. We probably question. It's okay. It does... It was a miracle. It's not a miracle is something that that that's not normal. <laughs> For the child who has been conceived to her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So I think from Joseph, when I look at this, that the story of the angel intervening in his life. He marries a single mom. There's great value. You know, we, in the church, a girl who has, is a single mom, you raised your sons to love the Lord. There's a girl with a single, thick child. It's okay to marry them. God's all in the redemption business. And Joseph adopts or marries a woman with another son, adopts him, raises him as his own. I think there's great Christ-likeness in that. I see. You know, today or this month, I, it, normally I kind of just take a message and I preach on the sanctity of human life. It, today is the sanctity of human life. There's people, it's kind of split between this week and next week. This is when the presidential proclamation came out to have the sanctity of human life, the third Sunday in January. Often, many people will do it next Sunday. That's why we're having the speaker next Sunday, is uh, because it falls closer to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And we're coming up on the third, uh, 
Next Saturday is the 38th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And on the sanctity of human life, I think that the church, when I look at this story, the church is very good, I think, on defending the rights of the unborn. But I think that we also have, when a, when a young lady goes through with having a child, we have an obligation to come alongside her, help her raise the child, help her grow in her walk. Don't scorn them. And I love this story. Number one, nothing is impossible with God. The, the new life that was put into Jesus is no less miraculous than a life that's transformed through the gospel. Last Sunday, this week has been really a painful week for me, kind of uh, hashing up the past. Uh, yeah, I've been kind of tentatively approved to go on this radio program. It's called Unshackled, where they take your life story and they, out of Chicago and they, uh, people whose lives have been unshackled by the gospel. Well, my, my, life, my life was so jacked up, I qualified to go on the program, essentially. And, uh, you know, they, last Saturday, they, they sent me this thing and they needed me to answer all these questions. And so by the time from Sunday after I got home from church till Monday afternoon, I basically typed nonstop about 25 pages later. I could barely sleep Sunday night because they're asking all these questions about my story. Remembering where were you? Tell us about the abuse when your when your mom punched you in the face and you got a bloody nose and you went back to her. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> okay. And can you give us dialogue? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, like, and and remembering like there was just like this flashback in my life of where I was. Oh man, I was such a a, a mess. And to think of what God's done in my life, that, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witness that I've been redeemed, I've been transformed, been set free, no less miraculous than the birth of Jesus. And I love that. And for us as Christians, what we can learn from Mary, she's 12, 13, 14. Say, yes, Lord, I'll be your bondservant. I'll sacrifice everything for you and follow that should be our heart. Mary indeed was the most blessed woman of all time. And we have so much to learn from her. Father, we do thank you for her story. Father, we pray that as we go about our lives, Lord, that you would help us to be like Mary, ready to hear your voice, willing to respond regardless of the cost. Father, we're encouraged by her faith and her obedience to you. Father, we thank you uh, that her story was saved, that we have your word today, that we would be encouraged by it. Father, we pray that your word would take root in our heart. Lord, that you would help us to grab hold of this truth, that nothing will be impossible with God. You are God. We are not. And so, Father, we are thankful that you are able and willing to work and move in our lives and in our midst. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Please stand as you're able. This next song is a little bit different than our normal uh, normal worship song. It's a little bit more uh, um, out of the out of the main flow.